Parties, episode 56 from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and with me, as always, the birthday boy. This past weekend was Lucas's birthday, by the way. Lucas Egg and Lucas, what is going on, my friend? I am doing well. You know, I had a very wild and crazy birthday weekend inside. <laughs> I played some games, watched some movies, ate some good food. So you know what? It's about as fun and exciting as it could be. Shout out to my girlfriend who uh, had some very thoughtful gifts, including a little replica from the Matrix Revolutions of Neo and Smith fighting that I am excited to get on awesome. my work desk to have some desk decorations finally and yeah it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun ryan how was your weekend uh it was uh it was all right it was all right i was a little under the weather uh this weekend so i didn't really do much uh and i was just kind of kind of working on some other things and stuff so i didn't really get i did however uh don't get me wrong i got some destiny 2 in we're coming to the end of the season i'm literally like two little triumphs away from getting a uh uh one of the um the titles so i want it i'm gonna get it i'm gonna grind it out tonight and and we are gonna get that good we ran through a couple of raids as well so it was it felt good getting back into that into you know it's been forever since i've run a raid or found like solid people a solid group of people to play with so yeah it was it was awesome i was very excited about that but uh, enough about us you'd like to introduce our guest I would. I am very excited to introduce our guest this week. You know his work from some of the tiny games that have come out in recent years called Star Wars Battlefront 2, Star Wars Squadrons, and is working on the upcoming game Gotham Knights. Mitch Dyer is joining us. Mitch, how are you, my friend? I'm good, fellas. Thank you for having me. Happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, you. Guys, you guys bring such an energy to this show. I don't know if you know that. Ryan, you bring this in with just like the most like let's let's go hype of all time, and I'm really into it. I was just like, That's I'm gonna have a relaxing chat, and I'm like, yeah, podcast time, <laughs> man, let's do it. That's right. Got to bring up the energy. No, good to have you on. Oh, I'm feeling it. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Uh, before we sit down and talk with you, though, let's get to a little bit of news. EA just officially announced that we've got. Guys, number one, my phone has been blowing up. They announced NCAA football is coming back and people are excited. I am on the wrong thing. And there we are. There it is. <laughs> but yes, this is exciting. I know that I never really played too many of the college footballs. I played a lot of Madden and stuff like that. And I played this a little bit, but I remember even being in college People, I mean, that's what we would do. We would gather at somebody's house and we would just run like monster tournaments uh, or, you know, do seasons or whatever. I know there are a lot of people that are excited to see uh, what EA comes back and, and what they do with this. Uh, this is this is huge news. This is huge news. What are your thoughts, uh, Lucas? 
It is exciting. First of all, this news broke literally like an hour or two after we recorded last week's episode. Yep. So come on, Classic. EA, can you can you please be on our schedule? <laughs> but no, I am I am very excited. It's uh, it's a franchise that has a lot of nostalgia for a lot of gamers, myself included. I'm excited. Hopefully, it'll be just as amazing as we all remember. It's going to be interesting because. Uh, they're not going to use players likeness because of the lawsuit that happened way back when, uh, mm-hmm. but they do have the right to use colleges names and mascots and whatnot. So it'll be interesting. I'm just excited. Hopefully it's a strong entry and uh, hopefully that it doesn't take the turn that the Madden series has taken in recent years. Yeah, Mitch, what are your your thoughts on uh, this? I don't know if you ever got down on some uh, NCAA. Oh, dudes, I'm out of my depth right now, for sure. Uh, (laughs) But what I remember about the NCAA was that it, for many years, like just listening to podcasts like the like one up show and stuff like that. And one Mm -hmm. of yours, I remember those guys were really enthusiastic about NCAA to the point that it was like superior to Madden, right? Like people generally Mm -hmm. thought more highly of the college football games than the Madden games. I don't know why that was or if that's something that will like. Is there an opportunity there now to to kind of supersede what Madden's doing or what whatever track Madden is on now? I think you know I totally think that there is. I mean, again, there are there is a reason why people enjoyed this game so much. I remember when they they decided that they w- that they were going to stop making them. You know how bummed out people were. I, I feel like people have even more of a connection with colleges. You know from when they're where they grew up, and there's that deep rooted uh, just love for a college team. And that is, you know what I mean? That's out, that's throughout here. So I feel like you, you, that's where you get it, that it's even more popular Mm. than say the NFL, because you know, there, I mean, some cities have teams, there's cities or states that don't have teams or, you know what I mean? This or that, but like, Every every state, right, for the most part, has colleges and that, that you can play and you get to use these people that, you know, you grew up watching or, oh, my gosh, I went to school with that dude or, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's the craziest thing. But it was are awesome. I heard, like, like, if they're not going to have the players, because I assume right. they're not going to pay every player, like, because I think that was kind of the reason it went away last time. Right. I'm wondering if that connection is still going to resonate, right? Like, I guess you could still be a fan of Mizzou. But not necessarily mm-hmm. of this NPC who's replacing a real person, <laughs> <laughs> which is always so disheartening. It's like, like I wish they would just pay them or give them figure out some sort of contract to be able to have that because that's part of the fun of it too. I yeah. feel like it's actually using the people, uh, you know, that you know and and this and that. Uh, so that is that is and that is going to be that's going to bring up because I know is that did that ever pass where where they started paying college players wasn't that in talks at some point in time somewhere i honestly don't remember where they ended up with it i just right? remember yeah, it was a I don't either. issue and justifiably so right like pay the players yeah yeah it's like dude th- these are athletes that are dedicating a ton of time you know what i mean to the sport like i i believe they should be paid yeah but we'll see this is uh yeah i i mean i'm excited i'm excited for i mean again i don't know that i'm not a big sports uh gamer i guess sports games i kind of lost it like back in like my like my pinnacle was nba live 97 like i would run <laughs> anybody up and down yo i didn't even like i just stopped going out and i'm like yo who's coming over who wants to cash these hands <laughs> man i miss those days of like ea sports big when they had that brand that was like here's def jam vendetta and nba Street yes! and all of these games that were like it's they're not sims but they're not completely arcadey they were kind of slightly right. different and they both I just have like those. i love those games so much 
Yeah, they were fun. They were fun. But we'll see. This is I mean, this is huge news. I think this is going to I think, you know, for me, the the big thing is, you know, how does what happens within this? Is there going to be microtransaction stuff? Is there going to be we know that those kinds of things definitely are problematic for games. NCAA ultimate team. Yeah, 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 exactly. Player packs without actual players, yeah, with with fake players. <laughs> Number fifty-seven. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they how they uh, uh, present this and how they go forward with it. But I mean, again, I'm I'm excited for I'm excited for my friends because they're so excited yeah, about this game. I'm just like, Same yes, part. yep, yep. So that is awesome. Also, Lucas, hold on, hold on. You got to play a, a certain game this weekend. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, you know, throwback way back to last week when we had Dave on to talk about Little Nightmares 2. I was able to start playing Little Nightmares 2 a little bit early. And oh my goodness. Now, let me preface by saying this just in case you're new this week. I love the first Little Nightmares. I thought the first game was so creepy and moody and tense. And this game is definitely more of the same. It is thrilling and exciting. And oh, it's amazing. It's awesome. I am loving most of what I'm seeing. Now, let me preface this and and add one uh, exclusion to that. Dave talked last week about the controls and said that it was a choice to make the controls not as precise as you'd see in other games, right? To add to Mm -hmm. the effect of you not being as powerful as you would be in other games, which it does do that for the most part. But there are certain instances where you need that precision, where you're like running and you don't really have that much time to sit there and and try for five times to press something. And then I just Mm -hmm. died. Like (laughs) There was a part of that game where my girlfriend was just laughing at me because I had to do it like 15 times. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm doing it. (laughs) Like, I don't know what else. What what else am I supposed to do? I'm pressing the button. I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. And then one time it just finally worked. So be warned about that. But overall, a really good experience so far. And Ryan, I know that you just bought the first game, didn't you? Yeah, and I, you know, and I was thinking about uh, it, it being a game that maybe we run as a family. Uh, I think could be cool because they're really more into and and they enjoy like puzzles. I think the artwork. I think my daughter would love this artwork. I absolutely love the artwork in this. Uh, you guys say the story is legit and whatnot. So and and the other thing too, I think that's like really appealing to me is the fact that it is a shorter game. I know that you know I can I can focus on it, crank through it, and we can knock it out like in a weekend or something. So. I'm excited to play it and then jump into this second one. Again, it looks gorgeous. I'm 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 excited to see, you know, also too w- where they go with the stories or or what their plans are as far as with this. I'm imagining to at some point in time there's going to be some DLC content. So, um yeah, dude, I'm I'm glad you're able to get your hands on it and and you know, get a get a play at it early. I'm I'm curious to see what your thoughts are after you're done playing it and then comparing it you know, with that first one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, there are already moments that just freak you out and it is awesome because as you get more tense, it makes you less in control even when you're playing. So like it all adds to the effect. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Mitch, are you a little nightmares fan? Do you like this, this genre of games? I, I just installed the first one as well. Nice. Uh, I think it was free on like PlayStation Plus or yeah. like a games of gold or something like that. So I got it for free fairly recently. Um, 
and I I think it was one of those indie games like I was vaguely aware of it but wasn't it wasn't like oh I'll check that out but mm-hmm. same thing you're saying right like it's just a, a short game is perfect for me right now like I'm playing Telltale's Batman series just because I'm like I want something that I can play in like one sitting and not have to think about things and I can go yes. back and so that's perfect so Little Nightmare seems like the ideal way to go about a horror game and it seems just yeah. so weird and unnerving like I'm playing the medium right now and it's really cool but it's also apparently really long <laughs> so we'll see if I stick <laughs> with that so like having mm. a, a smaller experience uh, just definitely feels like the most appealing way to engage with games for me right now no, and that, I mean, it really, and, and that's how it's gotten for me. Cause I mean, seriously, my backlog is so ridiculous and I, I <laughs> like it is, it is like, I don't know how I'll ever, but I am, I am going to try to, but like, there, there's so many games that are like, they're just so long and big and they're like open world games. Like there's so much to do. And then like, I get kind of, I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Cause there's so much to do. You're like, sometimes I just need a game that's going to be like, Hey, this is cut and dry. You know what I mean? Like here's a, here's a path. There's a, there's a story or here's these things, these puzzles that you'll run up to. And you know what I mean? It's not that long. You can yeah. sit down for a weekend and play, have a great time, not have to think about anything, dude. It's like, it's like, I love finding games, games like that, that really engage you in that way. Not only that, but then graphically and, and uh, uh, musically and everything, everything about it is, is gorgeous. So I'm excited to jump into this game for sure. Yeah, I think having a having a game that's like their cell is like it's a hundred hours long. Like I'm playing Yakuza right now. Yakuza like a dragon. I'm also playing Persona Five. I'm also playing a bunch of other RPGs. And it's like, man, each one of these is a hundred hours. Yeah. That's fifty Edith Finches long. <laughs> <laughs> that's too many. Like imagine all the other games you could play instead. And that's not a slight against those games at all. I think all the right. every game we're talking about is fantastic. But in the scale of it, it's like I can play all these games in my back. I can play every Telltale episode of something I've been meaning to play. I can play Sea of Solitude. I can play all these like the the uh, all the just so many like, adorable indie games I keep meaning to play and keep putting off. Yep, I, I feel you. I am I am absolutely in the same boat. Uh, but good. We'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. Let's take a short commercial break, guys, and then we'll come back and talk with Mitch. Let's do it. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to that short message. And now comes to the fun part of the episode. And Mitch, I will admit, I have been a fan of your work for a long time, dating back to your IGN days. And so let me start there. Take me back to your journey to IGN and what went in your decision to kind of pivot towards games writing from that? It was definitely not a a quick decision to pivot out of IGN. And I never joined games media in pursuit of becoming a developer and I I strongly disagree with that approach and I know a lot of people sometimes do that I don't think it actually works out well for a lot of people um so I started IGN kind of full-time in 2011 which was oh my god 10 years ago (laughs) (sighs) buddy that's a while that's I'm having this epiphany on this show right now so bear with me Um, yeah, so I was, I was freelancing for a while from like 2008 to 2011. I was a freelance games journalist. I was trying to do news and previews and reviews and going to these the events and work for magazines, doing anything I could to just uh, write stories about games because I loved writing about games. I liked thinking about games and overthinking about games in the same way that you guys and I still do. Like, that's why we do this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that that doesn't change when you go to dev. You still way overthink things and definitely overthink more specific things when you're making games. Um, but I loved that. I loved talking to people about games. I liked recording podcasts and doing video shows and going to IGN. It was like that was all they were doing, right? And they were doubling down on video right when I was getting there. So it was like, okay, I need to learn to be on camera and how to be a host and how to do what we're doing right now, which this has just become the norm, right? Like just hopping on a podcast right. online and doing it. We were figuring all that out like 10 years ago, which is hilarious in hindsight, right? Like nobody knew how to do this. Right. But I, I was mostly focused at the time on, I think I was like, because I had it in channel. So I was like an Xbox editor for a while, then just a regular editor, then I was news. So I kind of bounced around IGN doing all sorts of different stuff, uh, whether it was like managing events, right? Like I managed Tokyo Game Show and helped plan our news coverage for E3, uh, which is way more spreadsheets and way way less fun than you think it is when you go to <laughs> IGN to work in games journalism at a big website. Uh, but the you know the the optics of the from the outside of like oh it looks like it's really fun to pal around with your buddies on camera all day and be dummies and it's like yep that was all true still love that uh that was a great element of that job and that's still something like i continue to do with all of those people to this day like brian altano and max scoville are still like my closest friends i talk to them every day uh we're like hopping on discord and watching movies together like i built my like adult life around being at IGN and meeting those people and being with those people. Um, it was extremely formative uh, in mostly good ways, but learn some bad habits in your 20s at a job. Um, but you grow out of them and you become an adult and you stop being an idiot. Um, yeah, so IGN was 20. I was there from like October 2011 until April 2016, I think. So five, five math, five years-ish. I lived in California for most of that. Uh, I'm from Alberta, Canada in a very tiny town. So it was like, totally new territory for me living in a major city and working at a real company and but still doing like video game stuff which made it not really feel like a real job even now like Mm -hmm. making games still partially doesn't feel like a real job even though it all is um yeah i feel like i'm rambling what was part two of the question how did i get into games like (laughs) making the transition so so you know it sounds like you were having a lot of fun at ig and what went in your decision then to pivot away from it and, and what was that thought process for the most part, it was just that I didn't really know where else I had to go, right? Games journalism for me felt like, because I, I got extremely lucky in addition to just being this white privileged person that I am inherently, I got very lucky in that I got to go to the biggest place first. I got to go to the biggest website after, I, I guess not technically first, right? Like I did some freelance writing and I got to be part of all these different publications, but going to IGN felt like, oh, this is the culmination of everything I wanted to do. Right. And part of my goals getting into media was I wanted to be in magazines, right? Like I grew up loving EGM and OPM and OXM and all these magazines that I'd buy from like gas stations every month, get to demo discs for or whatever. And then getting to do that was like, oh, it's amazing. I got to I got to be in the official Xbox magazine. I got to be published on PC Gamer or whoever. And then going to IGN and being part of like a lot of their formative video stuff and coming up with a lot of the people like Greg Miller and and those people was like, it really felt like I lucked out and got in at like a peak time. And not to say that IGN has like dwindled. They haven't. They've grown. They've become better. They've hired so many more amazing people since I've left. But for me personally, it really felt like I had done kind of everything I wanted to do. And I didn't really know where that left me because I came in with very specific goals of like writing a magazine. Okay, IGN job offer. Let's go to IGN and do that for IGN. I found new responsibilities and planning events and going to E3 and doing all these wonderful things I've always wanted to do. So after five years, it was like, okay, now what? 
And after all this time spending so much time talking to creatives about the process of making games, it gave me like a very false sense of like, I know how games are made and it seems really interesting. <laughs> and that's, that was like surface level true. Like, because game, <laughs> games is so weirdly protective and I don't understand why. Like PR for every company is so protective about the truth of how games are made. And I mm-hmm. get it because it's actually not that interesting, right? It's just job stuff. It's work stuff. It's day-to-day uh, logistical things. But ultimately, it's cr- a creative process and it's collaborative. And I find that stuff really engaging and interesting. So the secrecy around games has always been very frustrating to me. And it's it's still frustrating to me now. But having the exposure that I did through creative directors or writers or lead designers, whoever I was doing interviews with at studios or they'd come to IGN, I just had like, an, I was inundated with information about how games are made and the kinds of people who make games and the kinds of stuff that excited the people who made these games. And a lot of it was stuff I connected with and also agreed with and found really interesting. So it wasn't like I was like, ah, this is my way out, right? It was never, I want to get into dev. It was just, I creatively wanted something more and met the right people who saw whatever potential in me or whatever, right? Like they were like, oh, let's give this person a chance. Would you be interested in writing a game? And it wasn't something I had given a ton of thought to, but because I was creative and excited and I, I'd been doing creative writing, I was like, oh, yeah, like actually I could put these skill sets together in a way that hopefully works. Yeah, and it was kind of that was kind of it. Got an interview at Motive and interviewed with Jade Raymond and a bunch of the people there that were starting up the studio. They decided, you know what we should do is roll a dice on this guy who's never done this before and uh, give him the biggest IP in the world. <laughs> well... You know, that's a, that's a good transition point into uh, Battlefront 2. So when we think back to, you know, before that, Battlefront 1, probably the biggest complaint that everybody had was there was no campaign. There was no single player sort story to speak of. Right. Star Wars fans are passionate to begin with. Coming in now to a sequel where everyone really wants a campaign, so the expectations are probably ratcheted yeah. up even higher. How did you approach that? How long did it take you to kind of get that story on where you wanted it to go? And and just how, how pressure-packed was that for you? Uh, the irony of this is that, and this is obviously before I had started talking to EA, I reviewed Battlefront for IGN in 2015. <laughs> uh and I just did a search on my review. I mentioned the words campaign twice, and it's really just an acknowledgement that is not there. And the rest of the <laughs> review is like, and what is here is pretty fun and good. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, like, I understand why people were really upset that Battlefront 1 didn't have a campaign. So when we came into this, it was like, oh, yeah, like, okay, of course people want this. And now the responsibility of the motive team was to build this with dice to build the first kind of canonical triple a star wars story in a game in the new disney timeline i was like holy that's a big responsibility (laughs) and also i didn't make that out to be a very big deal in my review so now i really have to deliver (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah from the the get-go we we obviously knew that that was a thing that people wanted and that was a responsibility we took very seriously and any you know it was a a nice piece of ammunition anytime i went to the table with executives it's like well listen this is the number one player request for a whole franchise so this is what we have to do uh and people were very invested and they were very on board and we actually had a lot of autonomy to do whatever we wanted with the battlefront 2 story separate from like ea's executives or the dice team like they were very trusting with us to do what we thought would be cool 
And I love I love to hear that too because I mean there really there really are so many I mean just to be able to play in that universe and to be able to write in that universe and create a new story out of it I absolutely loved it I I love that I was one of those people that you know Battlefront Battlefront one I was like man this really like how do you have a Star Wars and not have some sort of story or or single player or something you know what I mean. <laughs> You know what I mean? I was like, that's just crazy to me. So for this was such a, a great addition. And again, I'm loving the fact that that these new stories are being crafted in this universe. You know, working with this character, like what were you guys like kind of behind the scenes and, you know, kind of developing these characters and these stories? What did it look like sitting in the room? Say I was a, a fly on the wall uh, in a meeting probably a lot more mundane than you're thinking it's really just, it's mostly a lot of really bad ideas until we hit one and we're like ooh, that could be cool but early on you know we knew we wanted and when i say we i mean me walt williams my writing partner uh he wrote mm-hmm. spec ups the line and some other stuff at 2k uh and then uh mark thompson who was our creative director game director whatever the title was on battlefront 2 the three of us mostly uh sitting in a room throwing ideas around and then walt and i would go away we'd write scene outlines or scripts or dialogue or and then we just come out the other side and iterate, right? Okay, what's this character voice? What is this scene saying? What do we want it to contribute to ultimately about the Empire or this squad or the broader Star Wars universe, these particular characters? And then along the way, we're looking at droid footage right now. You'd have a moment where you're like, oh, okay, well, Aiden has to have a companion with her at all times so we can kind of engage with the world in interesting ways. And a droid was a really sensible way to do that. Okay, now we need to go back and it's not just Inferno Squad, these three people, it's also these three people and a droid. Where are all their relationships to the droid? What can the droid do? How do we represent that in the story? What is the presence of the droid in all the cutscenes? Every tiny little decision you make, whether it's a a big gameplay thing like we need a playable droid or a tiny thing like an example I always give is like if a character picks up a mug and takes a drink, now you're like writing a check for animators to like, okay, we have to put liquid in that cup. That cup needs to be then like the character has to swallow. They're writing a big, big check for an animator. Mm-hmm. So maybe the character doesn't take a sip. Maybe they grab the cup and they look and it's empty and they go, ah, <laughs> forget <laughs> it. Right. Nah. So it's, 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 it's funny how much like you can sit in a room and you can have all these ideas for stories and characters and scenes and explosions or whatever you have. But ultimately as a writer, you have to be responsible to the rest of the team, your team that's going to make it because everything mm. takes time and money and resources. And if we write a big, ridiculous, expensive set piece that's going to take a long time to produce, you're going to make a lot of people's lives very hard. Right. And sometimes it's worth it to say, like, yes, we're going to commit to this, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to dedicate our, our time and resources to this thing that's interesting and exciting. But you also don't want to bite off more than you can chew. So it's it's a lot of the time you have to be, as a, as a writer, you need to be careful that you're not, uh, that, you, that you're making the same game everyone else is and that you're respecting the production timelines, which is maybe a really boring answer to that question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's a, no, that's a, that's a very real answer is, you know what I mean? Like, cause again, like you're saying, a lot of people have an, uh, they have an image of what this is in their head to be able to hear it straight from the source. Like, yo, this is, you know, it's not as crazy as it seems like it would be, but this is how, this is what our process is. I feel like it's yeah. invaluable to people. But to, to be fair, like getting to sit down and write, Han Solo in a cantina is awesome, right? Like it yes. is, it is really great. One of the things we did on Battlefront Two that I am very happy about was when we decided, okay, we're going to be doing these hero missions, right? Because Battlefront Two is as much as it's going to be about Inferno Squad and our new series of our new our new characters and their story over time. Battlefront Two is about troopers and it's about pilots and it's about iconic Star Wars heroes and locations. So we know that mm-hmm. we have to go to famous places with famous people. How do we integrate those things into Iden's story in a way that doesn't feel totally separate? 
because we could have just done a throw to Han Solo. He's doing his own thing. It's unrelated, whatever. But that wasn't very fun, right? It felt right. distracting from a Han Solo story that might have a bearing on Iden's story. Mm-hmm. So we tried to connect those things in interesting ways, and that was really fun because now it's not just, okay, you're writing Lando Calrissian. It's you're writing Lando Calrissian with a character who kind of hates him on a planet where neither of them should really be doing something ridiculously dangerous and we basically just made like exciting things things that were exciting to us so we're like okay shriv and lando buddy cops on solace okay lando in a cantina pissing everybody off nobody here likes him every time you talk to someone and ask them for help they're scorned by han solo in some way stuff like that like you can really play with the details and the 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 characters in interesting ways and that stuff was great i loved it i loved it and it was something i resisted early on i didn't want to do hero missions i didn't want to have to throw to luke skywalker but, you know, we had to have hero missions and it was a, a I like that creative box. I like knowing like, OK, this is what the game is. These are the things we have to do. Figure out the best way to do it. Right. And I, I eventually ended up loving that we had to do that. I loved that it was like it's part of the game. Yeah, it makes sense. Let's do it. Let's do hero missions. But we're going to do the hero missions we want to do. So Lando <laughs> is going to be in it. And Lando might not have been planned for launch, but he's going to be at launch now because we want to do Lando. <laughs> You know, spending this much time within the the Star Wars franchise, I mean, do do you ever like get to pull back and think like you've contributed to this this world that that so many of us hold dear to our hearts? Like, do, do you ever take a, a moment to let that soak in? Uh, constantly, uh, it is extremely surreal to see people like not only okay, we have Wikipedia Wikipedia entries. Sorry, I don't know why I said Wikipedia. We have Wikipedia entries, and when we're making the game, right? Wikipedia is our holy grail. We cannot keep track of the Star Wars timeline and characters and places without it. It's just like fan wikis are so imperative to people making games who don't have their own like world Bibles internally. And nobody making games based on other people's IP has their wiki, right? So like having that at our disposal was amazing. And then having like our characters' names and their events and things like that and their novels and things like that show up as like, Okay, they're on Wikipedia. Now it's real. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is going to come up when other Star Wars writers are looking at these characters and putting them in their comics or books or whatever. That's a weird, surreal feeling too. But then in terms of fandom, having people cosplay your characters or write fanfic about your characters or make art about your characters is not something I was like emotionally prepared for. And it still boggles my mind today because in my mind, it's like, we we wrote this story and it was cool and we had a good time with it and i hope people like it but the fact mm-hmm. that it resonates with people is shocking <laughs> to me but that's you know it's that's storytelling and hopefully you know if something you're making is affecting to you and you're resonating with it then it's hopefully and probably going to resonate with somebody else and you know to go from one passionate fan base to another apparently just dealing with with the star wars universe wasn't enough so to go to go into gotham knights here i i know that 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 is one of those games that i know ryan and i are both really excited for what attracted you to this project and how do you how do you make sure that the story you're telling is an essential story for a universe like that sure um, I have to be abstract and weird about this because I don't know how much I can talk about because I don't remember what's in the NDAs I signed. Uh, so I'm going to be careful, dodge a little bit, but still try to genuinely answer your question. I was attracted to the project because I was a fan of it at an ounce, right? Watching the DC fandom, I saw the reveal trailer just like everybody else. I wanted to know what WB Montreal was up to because I liked Gotham, uh, sorry, Gotham, <laughs> Arkham Origins. Uh mm-hmm. 
And I just, I think that, and I, and I know some people on the team because they're here in Montreal where I am. So I know a bunch of people over there. I know they're uh. excited about their project. I know how happy they are on the project. And that, all of that was just like, oh, cool. Like my friends at WB are finally getting to announce their game. And their game is incredibly kick-ass. It looks so cool. The idea of playing as these, whatever, four different characters in an open world, and it's the setting where Bruce Wayne has died. All of that is extremely compelling to me. And as a player, I'm like, I want to suit up as Red Hood. My girlfriend's going to play Nightwing, and we're going to pal around Gotham City and figure out whatever this story is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that was just something I was invested in as a person who likes DC Comics and games in the Arkham series and whatever. So coming aboard, what I learned to love was just that writing team is phenomenal. The w- and, and the whole WB Montreal team is amazing. Like I, inter- I got to interface with a lot of people who are <laughs> some like next level geniuses making some like super interesting gameplay and story bits that are just really emotionally resonant and powerful. I dare not say more, but I am very excited about <laughs> Gotham Knights and I'm very grateful to have been able to play in that sandbox for the same reasons as Star Wars, right? Like I have uh, these years and years of comics love and I, Hush is one of my favorite graphic novels ever uh, and getting to just dabble in that universe and play with some of these characters in, in a completely new context because I think the framework of that story of Code Black you know Bruce Wayne's gone that's it's an incredibly compelling start mm-hmm. um, so I was just excited to see where it goes and now I know a little bit about where it goes and uh, now I'm just excited for people to see it and and, and to play when it comes out because I'm just I'm still as excited about that game as I was when I came in more so now because I got to <laughs> see some of it um mm-hmm. yeah did that answer all the questions in a sufficient way without being too question dodging it did it did okay, cool. let me let, let me follow up here and I, I won't try and box you in don't worry <laughs> <laughs> you know I think that that whenever you're in one of these worlds your your hope is that when you're done playing whatever the story is that it, it it sticks with you, right? That that they look back and go, that is now one of the classic storylines for that universe that, that I, you know, can point back to and remember. So when you're crafting a story, what sorts of things like like do you guys have like a gut feeling of, of whether that story is resonating? Do you are there a lot of starts and stops to try and get to that point? I think your your instincts are the first best test bed for any story beat, right? If you are writing out a scene or you have an idea for a moment, uh, whether it's okay, I don't know, I don't even have a good example. If you just if something clicks with you when you're writing it, like I mentioned before, hopefully and probably it's going to resonate with somebody else because you're just a human being, and if you're affected by something that's interesting, then somebody else is going to be too. The size of that audience is obviously going to be dependent on many things. Your second best resource when writing something, uh, at least in a game studio, is your team. And having a team rally around a moment or an idea or a beat tells you everything you need to know. Like if you can get the investment of the animators who are doing the cinematic and say, oh, this is like this. I got to do this scene, right? Like I'm on that cutscene. I'm animating this character. When they're excited, that gets you excited. And it just tells you that you're on to something. And ultimately, you know, games are so much more than those individual pieces and everything comes together in in sometimes profound and amazing ways. But you can't predict that. You have no idea how the final product is going to come together, how the final product is going to be received. You have an an inkling, right? Nobody making games is unaware if something in the game is bad or the people making games hope that this thing they love is good. But Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's it's a you, you loosely have an idea. 
right? You hope, you <laughs> maybe pray, um, but you do your best. And that's really all you can do, which is very, it's like a bad sports coach advice. But yeah, <laughs> I think if, you try, if you listen to yourself and, you, and your team is saying, this is good, that tells you that you're on to something and you can double down on that or you can, whatever, you do whatever you need to do to make that moment or scene or whatever resonate. And then you just follow those. Every time somebody gets excited about something, you lean into it. If people are gun shy on it and you think it's awesome, screw it. You're going to try it anyway. <laughs> maybe it lands and maybe it doesn't. Right. Do you, so do you think that, did you guys like lean on any like, uh, just like resources and, and references uh, that are out there as far as with the story and, and the crafting and the writing of this game? Or is this more of something that you guys are like, you know what, let's just come at it at a, a completely original approach with these characters that people are familiar with? Because something about the DC universe, I very much have felt disconnected uh, within that universe. There's been so many like reboots of, of superheroes and and this and that. So it's like, it's it's been hard for me to to really like latch on to that universe. But I feel like something like this, especially within the game's genre, cause I know those Batmans, the Batmans are fantastic uh, as well. Like something like this, I think could be huge for the DC universe. I do too. And again, I'm going to dodge your question, but hopefully try to answer it yeah. substantially without <laughs> getting in trouble for me. Something that happened that was like a major, like a tectonic shift for me in terms of DC mm -hmm. comics was because you know I've, I've i've read like classic batmans like i love the long halloween and i like dark knight returns and i've read the big ones that you're supposed to read right. uh but when it comes to like monthly issues and okay there's detective comics over here and there's this batman thing over here and then there's a batgirl thing that kind of ties into it over here and there's a multiverse thing over here that it gets overwhelming right so for mm -hmm. me i think it was 2013 when dc did the new 52 here's 52 books all set in the same universe and it's a fresh universal restart and it's all in the same place it's all in the same dc universe and it, it unified DC comics for me in a way that just made it instantly approachable, no matter what book I was reading. So I was like, mm -hmm. screw it. I'll read Aquaman and Animal Man, and I'll pick up this Swamp Thing, and then I'll read Batman, and then I'll read the, whatever the Batman Detective Agency book or whatever it was, and it's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And some of it was better than others, but ultimately, it was a clear, unified, new approach to a DC universe that made it very... Uh, engaging to me as somebody who was aware of DC, but was a little bit lost in the multiverse of it all. So for Gotham Knights, as it relates to that, I will say that even just looking at the trailer before I was involved in the project, I was excited by the prospect of, okay, it's about these four characters. It's about Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, and then who am I forgetting? Robin, Batgirl, Nightwing, Red Hood. There they are. Thank you. Visual reference on the screen <laughs> for me. Thank you so much. Having the having shifting the focus to be about these people in the aftermath of of the of the, of this pivotal death that is important to all of them, and then uh, whatever the, uh, <laughs> these gangs across Gotham, as there always is, that just immediately is like, oh, okay. The framework of this story is unique and different from any other batman dc universe thing i can think of especially now like there's the dc universe but it doesn't seem like all the films are even connected and i'm, I'm mm -hmm. kind of reading some dc comics and i'm like i like the batgirl stuff and then i like some of the batwoman stuff and then i fell off the batman stuff and i came back on the batman stuff again having this like very fresh unique take on the dc universe makes it approachable and engaging in a way that i think is just instantly gratifying for me I've got to check that out because I didn't know that there was a because that's what I need. I need something. I just give me one unified universe, I guess. One, you know, what I mean, arc that I can follow and sure. really like 
you know, because again, I have I have trouble connecting with a lot of the characters on that side just because I just feel like it's it's so you know, it kind of bounces around or, and, and it's not, I'm not just talking about, I mean, I feel like, and again, I'm not, I haven't kept up with like the comics and stuff like that too. So I know there's a, a ton going on, but I'm going to check out that set that you're talking about. Yeah. So what I'll, what I'll say to connect these thoughts <clears throat> is that at the end of the Gotham Knights trailer, you see this, this character in a costume and they're very spooky. Um, and boy, it sure looks a lot like uh, the court of owls in mm. scott snyder's 2013 dc run right I, w- I would say that's a great place to start not not just because it might be insightful for gotham knights uh but because i think that it's just it's a great series scott snyder's initial run uh in 2013 at the new 52 the comic was just batman right his batman run it was uh, scott snyder greg capullo um and they were they basically came at it and said okay we're gonna do a new take on batman he's been he's young but he's been batman for a little bit and there's a new threat in gotham that is unlike anything we've ever seen and here's a completely new Batman story in the DC universe as we're resetting it. Basically, that series was so cool. It was it was grim and serious in a way that DC stuff often is. But it also is just it's like nice, light, fun, twisted Batman stuff. It's, it's all these different emotions that I didn't know Batman could be. So, so let me uh, probe about your future here. Star Wars, DC. What's next? What's the what's the next universe that that if you could pick and choose, you would love to play in? Uh, I have already chosen it, and I cannot tell you anything about it. Ooh, <laughs> ooh! <laughs> I will say it's a different change of pace, um, and nice. I'm excited. Like I love playing in these universes, and I like being able to like try to express myself in in unique ways within them, and and whatever, leave my stamp on these characters that everyone knows and loves and hopefully leave a version of them that's interesting and memorable. Always going to love that. Happily going to hopefully do Star Wars again someday. I don't know if or when I left EA and I don't know what the future of that is. Like, it seems like more and more studios are taking on Star Wars projects, which is very exciting. But I'm excited to uh, hopefully uh, define and build an IP. I want to be part of a team that's going to you know, take an IP and and give it a little uh, uh, meat and substance and build it into something that's uh, more of its own. And that's all I'll say. What, what about, sorry, what about outside of like, uh, like games and stuff like that? Is there, is there any like projects like film wise or even, um, Dude, I, I'm going to put I, this out in the universe right now. Cause you're giving me the opportunity. I want to write for IO's James Bond game. Ooh. I would love, I, I interactive is like one of the most interesting game to de- game developers on the planet right now to me. Hitman three. F-ing awesome. Sorry that you have to censor that. Hitman three is so good. And it's such an amazing continuation of everything they've done that has been so good. And that team is absolutely perfect for James Bond, right? The pace and the, the settings, the globe trotting, and then the emphasis on not killing, which is ironic because Hitman is about being an assassin. But the, the mm-hmm. majority of the Hitman games is not killing. It's about hiding in plain sight. It's about gaining intelligence. It's about using people's social dynamics against each other. It's all stuff that is already inherent in what James Bond is, and I think that team is perfect for it. The fact that they're doing an original James Bond story, no ties to the films, amazing, because I think that's a very needed thing right now for Bond. As much as I Mm. love the Daniel Craig films, as much as I love some classic Bond films, this is a deeply problematic franchise that needs a reinvention, and this feels like a great studio to do it. So... That's exciting. And I'd love Let's to Let's make that. it happen. Let's make it happen. <laughs> we're, we're putting it out there. That's <laughs> just, right. This is me just like, please give me work. I'm a freelancer <laughs> now. <laughs> I need to work. 
But it's also, I just, whatever, I'm going to just say shit out loud and hope the universe answers something. <laughs> Half the jobs I've got in my life have just been from tweeting about how much I liked a game or a place or a thing and people going, oh, really? You like you oh. like the thing that we do? Do you want to talk on phone about it? You mentioned before that, that your path toward games writing is not what you would necessarily recommend to others. What what track, what advice would you give aspiring games writers to be? Because I know when I think of it, so I'm I'm a reporter, but but writing a game is a skill that is not in my my uh, tool bag. You know, it, it's not something that I could do easily. So, what would you your advice be to people who want to get into that? Um, writing a game is one of the most unique experiences I think a human being can have in terms of creative endeavors i will say uh, a warning and a flaw of games writing immediately is that if you have like this perfect story in your mind and you need to get it out of your system and you need to exp you need to give this life exactly as you envision it to the world do not put it in video games because video games is the fastest way to destroy an idea that you have for a story mm -hmm. video games and story are not <sighs> the way those things are done doesn't totally fit you obviously can tell, and people have told and will continue to tell amazing stories in games, but that is generally the result of compromise because this is a job skill set that, like you mentioned, nobody has until they do it. Mm -hmm. Writing games is a very strange process, and it's different from studio to studio. It's different from person to person, and ultimately, it's equal parts creative writing and, equal, uh, and, and uh, problem solving, usually with other disciplines. So if you come into games and you know that you want to write games, approach it with the mindset that you are writing a story that serves gameplay most of the time it's very rare that you'll make a game around a story uh mm -hmm. even i have to imagine if you're naughty dog you're still adapting your story to the way the stealth systems are coming online and cuts you have to make during production even though it's a very story-centric game you still have to make these concessions and these are not bad things it's just true things but i think if you have an idea that you want full control of that putting it into the <laughs> the machine that is game development is the fastest way to have things that you like about that stomped out of existence because it's not about you and it's not about just your story it's about communicating narrative ideas through gameplay because personally i think that's the most interesting thing about the medium and how the stories are told is what you're doing in the game needs to be intrinsically linked to the story being told and when they're not it feels weird and disjointed and it's just not quite right yeah, so I, would, I that was basically my rambling warning of like, hey, just so you know, this is how it is to write games, and it's a unique experience, and it's 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 hard, and it's it's a skill set you develop by doing it. I would also say that if you're if you're interested in doing something like this, that the fastest way you can get a job in games writing or to write a game is to write a game. That can be as simple as a Twine project. Uh, you could team up with your programmer and artist buddies and make something. But ultimately, I think being able to show that you can work with other people, uh, that you can tell a story within the constraints of a game, and that you're using the game's systems itself to tell that story or to express narrative is the most valuable thing you can do. Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, because I know that a lot of that, yeah, you have to work within the game mechanics too. So it's not just as easy as just laying out a story. Here it is. Make it work. <laughs> yeah, like if Dishonored is about something other than killing people, Dishonored's probably really weird. But Dishonored, right. like as a revenge story about an assassin who, like it's, I got I have to stop before I start rambling on about how amazing Dishonored. I love Dishonored, you guys. I love it. I love Dishonored. Uh, another series on the backlist. Mitch, thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Where fellas. can we find you on the socials, brother? 
Uh, it's just at Mitchie D or Mitchie D on anything. M-I-T-C-H-Y-D. That's me on the internet. Awesome. Thank you again for being on. We appreciate it, my friend. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend? Lay it on me, brother. I am ready to uh, finish Little Nightmares 2, uh, experience yeah. that, try and, and get through it before all the spoilers start hitting online. So I'm going to try and get it done uh, as I have time through work. And, um, you know, my girlfriend also got me John Wick Hex on the Switch. So I'm going to go through that. Nice. And uh, Ryan, you know, I know that you said that game might be one that you're interested in. What I forgot about that game is after you go through the level, you can view it like after you choose the moves, it plays out. So you're kind of like oh, watching no. almost a little video of your playthrough. Yeah, it does like a real time thing with like cinematic camera angles and slow right? motion. Oh, right? Just like That's John awesome. It's really cool. That is awesome. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to, I think I'm going to pick that game up as well. And uh, hopefully maybe, I got to finish some games first. What am I talking about? I got to finish some games first before I uh, do anything. I am grinding through Spider-Man though. I'm closer and closer. I think I'm close to finishing uh, Spider-Man. And then once I finish all that stuff up, I'll move on to Morales, bang that out. And then we'll see. I've I've made the promise that I'm going to finish Metal Gear Solid 5 this year. It's happening. It is happening. <laughs> so we'll see. Other than that, though, dude, I this weekend I, I plan on chilling. Again, like I said, I'm going to grind hard on Destiny 2. Uh, I got the last couple of triumphs left to get my title. I am getting a title this season. I don't care. Uh, and then and then uh, probably just getting out on the Spooderman. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be awesome. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today on Lamb Parties. We hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at Lamb Parties Pods, Lucas Egan, or Smitty2447. We hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. And you know what it is. We love your faces. (laughs) 